Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 133 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Shane Half NFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. underscore Mark. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, I, I've been fighting wars online uh, over the past, uh, I guess it's 48 hours, however, a little less than that, but the last two days. So uh, I'm tired, but I'm, I'm starting to move past it. I'm looking forward to next week instead of looking back to this week. But unfortunately, in this show, we look back to last week. So <laughs> Shane's bringing me back in, into the negative past now, um, but I got to do it for the chalk talkers out there. It's a bit of a toxic relationship here with the last week of football, but no, we were, we were talking off air that this is the, like, there's a cycle to NFL content creation where at the beginning of the year, you're so excited for the new season to kick off. And as the season goes along, it just gets harder to watch some of these teams. Like there's like 10 teams in the NFL that are super interesting right now. And on any given week, Most of them play teams that just aren't. And so uh, we're sort of getting into that wall where there's a lot of teams that just aren't super interesting or intriguing at this point. Uh, I'm ready for playoff football. Like we're still got like five weeks. I'm ready to get to the playoffs, ready to get to some, you know, wall to wall hyped matchups, but that's not where we're at right now. We're kind of in that, in that, that dip. We're in the Valley week 13, 14 every year. There's always like, a lot of juice to like week 17 and 18 because you're deciding the last couple spots, but this is a little bit of the Valley. So, uh, but we're going to dive into it here. We're going to do like we do every week. We're going to talk through every game from the week 13 slate, uh, give you our top takeaways from them all. So uh, just as a reminder, also a couple weeks ago, we added a new sort of segment called the one minute drill. Each of us has a flag they can throw at any point in time during the podcast Uh, If there's a game that we don't want to talk about and our co-host has to in one minute or less, well, really, we're shooting for exactly a minute, cover everything you need about that game and we'll move on. Uh, We will jointly cover Thursday night football in a one minute drill, not because it wasn't an epic game this week, but because it's four or five days old by the time you're listening to this. So you don't need our takes on that quite as much. So let's dive in as we always do with the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday afternoon playing host to the San Francisco 49ers. This was a very much anticipated rematch of the NFC Championship game. A lot of trash being talked throughout the offseason by the 49ers, and the 49ers backed up their talk. Uh, They walk into the link and they win in blowout fashion, 42-19. to Uh, Now, it didn't look like that's the way this game was going to go at the beginning. The Eagles go on back-to-back field goal drives, Uh, The 49ers have back-to-back three and outs. Brock Purdy was 0 of 4 passing. The Eagles were up 6 to 0. And then the 49ers offense woke up. And they picked up their first first down. And they never looked back. They would score a touchdown on six consecutive drives until their final possession when the clock ran out. Um, One of my biggest takeaways from this game. Now, I will put the caveat up front. There is no arguing that this was a tough spot for the Eagles. You're coming off of an overtime game that was on a short week to begin with, facing a 49ers team, coming off the mini-buy. 
you've got key injuries. You're missing two of your top three linebackers and nobody puts linebackers in a blender better than Kyle Shanahan. So if you're starting a UDFA rookie, but Ellis isn't a rookie, a UDFA second year player, that's not a great place to be in. In my opinion, from where I sit, there is also no arguing the 49ers aren't clearly a better football team right now. They're playing at a higher level. Uh, Their offense is incredible. And if you go back to their three-game losing streak, one of the things I said on this podcast was their offense was still operating at a phenomenal level. Their success rate was off the charts. They just had a few key turnovers that lost them some games. As it sits right now, San Francisco has the highest offensive success rate of any team in the last decade. Like, there's not a weakness on this offense. They will throw the ball downfield. They will take the underneath routes, and they will get tons of yard after yards after catch. Like, their weakness is you got to make them turn the ball over, and, and that's really tough to do. It's hard to live and die on turnovers. Uh, that's something we talked about with the Broncos defense last week at Not that we're going to get to that game yet, but it was a bad spot for the Eagles, but they had no answers defensively for what I think is the best, highest functioning offense in the NFL right now. Yeah, I mean, there's no debating when you have Christian McCaffrey, who's very clearly the best running back in the sport. George Kittle, very clearly a a top five tight end in the sport. And then Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, who are very clearly top at least 15 receivers. Um, so to say all that, and then you say, oh yeah, you have a quarterback who, whatever we want to say, whatever, I mean, 80, I think he had like 313 yards and I think about 80 something were, were air yards there. Uh, most of it was yak, but taking all of that out of it, he is accurate. He does run the system that Shanahan wants and oh yeah, you have Kyle Shanahan. You, you have mm-hmm. the best play caller in, in the sport and in the last decade of the sport. To, to be quite honest, or at least the last, I don't know, five, seven years, um, ever since he made Matt Ryan an MVP out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that all of those things, when they have all of those things, it's going to be really hard to stop San Francisco. And the way you're going to have to do it is you're going to have to exploit their secondary. Um, and the Eagles didn't do a good enough job of that at the start of the game. It felt like, wow we're really kind of picking them apart in the secondary. We were kind of getting what we wanted on those first two drives to get down the field. You stumble and you kick field goals. Little did we know at the time that was the game. I mean, if you score a touchdown, at least on one of those, but really on both of those, if you look at the Eagles red zone percentage, at least over the last like, you know, eight to 10 weeks, it's been incredible um, ever since we were kind of yelling and screaming about it early on in the year. So if you were able to do what you were able to do all year long in the red zone and score those two touchdowns, I I have a hard time believing that the game doesn't go differently, but when you squander both of those opportunities for momentum and both of those opportunities to get up early on a team that very clearly is incredible with the lead and, or at the very least very good and good or close games. um, Yeah. It's, it's going to be hard to do that when you squander those opportunities because you're not going to get that many opportunities. Cause even if the secondary is in my opinion, there to be picked apart with San Francisco, the front seven is incredible. So you have to deal with so much to get to their weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's kind of, that's great kind of team building, but by San Francisco in that way. So um, I I will just say one quick kind of retort to, to what you, you mentioned um, in the three games that they lost, that their success rate was still phenomenal. And I'll, you know, you can't 
take away the turnovers and say that uh, that's not lucky. You can't you can't say turnover luck doesn't exist. So I, I totally am with you. I totally agree. What I will say, though, is they scored 17 points in each of those three games. It does seem like this team has to be it's almost like a well-oiled machine. And if you take one of those pieces of the machine out, it's not the same. So, and this isn't wishing injury. And obviously, you know, the Eagles aren't fully healthy um, going into that game. They were missing, I would say, Dallas Goddard's probably one of their, what, eight to 10 most important players on the roster. I I think that's fair to say. Lane Johnson and Fletcher Cox just coming back off injury. I, I don't think that the Eagles are fully healthy, but we've seen them get by some of those injuries in some of these games. If San Francisco has one of those big players go down and it's not, again, it's not me wishing injury, but there's a lot when you rely on the health of six to eight important players in January, and you're not the same. If you take one of them away, that's a kind of a recipe for risk there. And San Francisco, I know right now it doesn't look like they have a lot of risk. And to that point, they're 16 and zero when George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, and Brandon Ayuk, and Brock, or I don't know if Brock Purdy's even in that stat. It might have, because that might date back to Jimmy Garoppolo. But at least when those four are in the lineup, they're 16 and 0. So if they have all of those guys healthy, including Brock Purdy, including Trent Williams, including those four guys, they're probably going to win the Super Bowl. But I think you take one of those guys away. I, I think the field's leveled out in a way where, You know, Kansas City has Mahomes and Kelsey. Philly has Hurts and AJ, maybe a couple of Lane, definitely. But I think that they have a couple more guys that they rely on 100%, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've uh, Brock Purdy. It's hard to talk about Brock Purdy and the stats he's putting up and what he does. So, In this game, Brock Purdy had an average depth of target of six yards, which was the lowest in the NFL for the week. Uh, He completed one pass. Uh, He only attempted one pass. He completed it of over 15 air yards. It was that option wheel route to Christian McCaffrey. The 49ers had 212 yards after the catch. That's the seventh most in a single game this season. The Eagles secondary wasn't even contesting passes. Like The defense had one pass breakup all day. You know who it was by? Who? Jordan Davis on the uh, first yeah. play of the game gets his hand up at the line and breaks one up. Um, that's, in my opinion, that is a pretty questionable approach when you have one of the best pass rushes in the NFL. Four of your five secondary players are over 30 and you're starting CFL players at linebacker facing one of the most dynamic yards after catch teams in the NFL. Now, I will say like Brock Purdy, does a really good job of processing. Like watch I'm halfway through the film at this point in time for that game. And he does such a good job of moving through his reads and getting the ball out with accuracy and anticipation. But when you've got all of those weapons, man, like he's, he wasn't asked to do a lot in this game. And that's not a knock on him. That's a knock on the Eagles defensive game plan. Like I, I thought that was really poorly constructed. Um, I just don't think that's the way you beat the 49ers. And, you know, certainly it wasn't for the Eagles in this game as they get blown out. It's hard to ignore that the 49ers have played the two teams that are relevant in the NFC and Detroit. You could throw Detroit in there. They haven't played them, but Detroit's defense is atrocious. 
they've played the 49ers and the Cowboys and they've blown them both out. And was the, I can't, was the Cowboys game in Dallas? I can't I remember now. I don't think so. I think, okay. Like they're, they're looking good as far as the NFC goes. Now it only takes one game and you've seen things like that before, but the biggest concern for me, there was a lot going on in this game for the Eagles offense. Jalen hurts was atrocious. Uh, I said earlier in the year, the Jets game was the worst game he's played. This one might've been worse. Uh, Hertz was awful in this game. And the third down defense is a huge problem in the last two games. And granted you played Josh Allen, who had one of the better games of his season. The Eagles have gotten an opponent to third down 33 times in the last two games they've allowed conversions on 23 of those 33. Now, two of them were on fourth downs. So technically it's 21 to 33 on third down, two of two on fourth down. Uh, You you can't give up. You can't give up 67% of third downs and expect to win football games. So uh, the Eagles are sort of reeling right now. And I said earlier, no arguing this was a tough spot for the Eagles. It doesn't stop because now they go on the road to face the Cowboys who are also coming off of a mini buy and they suddenly have hope to go win the division again. And, and it's still a bit of a long shot with how yeah. the tiebreakers and things play out. The Eagles would have to lose two more games, but uh, it definitely throws a wrench. It makes the top of the NFC interesting as far as the race for the one seed from here on out. So here's my question for you, because you've been kind of staying on top of these New York Times playoff scenarios and things like that. If the Eagles lose to Dallas this week and win out, you said they have to lose two more games with how the division tiebreakers play out. So if they lose to Dallas and win out, they win the division, Philly? Yes, because at that point, they would have common opponents because Mm -hmm. both teams lost to San Fran, uh, but the Eagles would have lost to an AFC team in the jets while the uh, Cowboys lost to the Cardinals, which will be a common opponent. Yeah. Yeah. So if the Eagles lose to the Cowboys and went out, they 100% win the division. Okay. Um, And technically they would still have a 71% at getting the one seed because the 49ers would have to win out, which means they would win their final nine games of the year, which is certainly possible. Baltimore looms. If there's Mm -hmm. a defense in the NFL, that could shut down the 49ers aside from the Browns it's Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And I mean, listen, I have another one for you potentially there. Okay. Maybe, maybe Kansas city. Uh, they didn't look as good this week, but Kansas yeah. city has really good linebackers. May, may, that could at least help in that matchup. But Baltimore was the number I was literally thinking about that before recording, like who, who kind of has the best linebacker set up and it's Baltimore and Kansas city. Yeah. Yeah. Baltimore. I, I was going to say I would kill to see a Baltimore uh, 49ers matchup and we get to see one on Christmas. I, I believe they're the Monday night game on Christmas. So uh, we'll that's, on, that's we'll a game. Our that's, Lamar jerseys. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be a game. That's going to be so much fun to watch. So but, I was going to say for the Eagles here, uh, if they beat the Cowboys, they have a 71% chance at the one seed, if they then beat the Seahawks, that drop jumps up to an 84% chance. So the Eagles are very much still in control. They desperately need this win in Dallas uh, because you do want that one seed. You don't want to have to face the 40. You want the 49ers to have to go through two teams and maybe somebody gets lucky. Uh, Cause I mean, be honest, 
you don't want the 49ers in the playoffs. You want somebody else to knock them out if possible. Yeah, definitely. There's no doubt about that. But um, yeah, I I will just say if the Eagles lose this week, people will treat it as the end of the season. Um, but it won't be. They will still probably end up winning the division. That, that's my take there. Um, but I, I think it's a 50-50 shot that Philly and Dallas stack plays incredible against us. Hopefully the defense plays a little better after the last two weeks where they've looked horrible. Hopefully they make some adjustments. They have already played Dallas. Not that they played great against them. They played good in the red zone, but um, hopefully that means that they're, they at least have some adjustments tab to make since they played them already instead of San Fran and Buffalo who are first time opponents this year for Desai. Uh, But I will say Dallas has an absolute gauntlet coming up so uh, you know we've complained and i've complained where i've said it's unbelievable but by the way the fact that we got kansas city on the road as our extra game uh, this year with the new schedule with the 17 game schedule i will never get over it we won the game but I i will never get over the fact that the afc and the nfc they they play one i don't know if people know this but the 17 game schedule the 17th game 16 AFC teams play 16 NFC teams. They're picked to try to make the best possible matchups. And of course they picked the Super Bowl with Chiefs and Eagles, which gave us the hardest possible matchup with the Chiefs in Kansas City. And we won it. But there's I, I tweeted this out and it's so funny. Like you know this better than anyone, Shane. Like you probably have these tweets and these thoughts and these video breakdowns that you think are like, wow, this is really smart or this is really clever. Like I had a really funny tweet here. And, you know, it gets it gets your normal your normal interaction. And then you have a tweet that you like send kind of without thinking and it kind of explodes. That's what happened to me this week with my tweet about like you're not there's not a team in the NFL, in my opinion, that would have beaten Miami, Dallas, Kansas City, Buffalo and San Francisco in a six week stretch. I, I just don't think that there's a team in the NFL that would have been able to do that. We got through the first four. We lost to San Fran. Obviously, one more against Dallas before it finally eases up with Seahawks, Giants, Cardinals, Giants. Like we, I, I wish that would have been a little bit more like kind of spread out. out. This has been insane. But at least Dallas coming up has a similar gauntlet of Eagles. I believe it's Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, Lions right in a row. Maybe there's a game in between there somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's Eagles, Dolphins, Bills, Lions. It is. Yeah, it's. Home against the Eagles, on the road at Buffalo, at Miami, home against the Lions, at Washington to close out the season. That, that That's a four-game stretch right there. And, you know, I think that they'll probably handle Detroit if I had to guess, no matter what happens in those first two games. But Miami and Buffalo, those are, those are brutal games on the road for Dallas. So um, I, I had a lot of Dallas fans in my replies saying, we've played the same schedule as you guys. And it's like, well, you haven't played the Dolphins or the Bills yet. And, you know, like you play the Lions coming up. So uh, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. I uh, Dallas fans are celebrating, uh, you know, the Eagles losing as if they beat the Eagles. And Dallas fans, after the Eagles beating the Chiefs, Bills, and, and Dolphins, and Cowboys by close games, and the Cowboys saying, oh, well, that's lucky. The Cowboys win a game because I don't want to actually, never mind. Save it for the save it for the one minute the the Cowboys Seahawks uh, <laughs> start ranting on the Cowboys. All right, well, are you ready to get into the Thursday yeah. night game? Okay, let's so let's do it. And again, this was a good game. We're gonna two minute drill it, not because it wasn't a good game or one minute drill it, not because it wasn't a good game, but because 
it was five days ago. So I'll throw it up here. I guess am I taking the first 30? You're taking the last 30? Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, we'll T minus one minute. So Dallas hosts Seattle. They win 41 to 35. The defense could not get a stop, uh, but in the fourth quarter, they finally came up big with fourth down stops on back to back to back possessions that ends up icing the game. Geno Smith threw for 334 yards and three touchdowns. He added a rushing touchdown, but at the end of the game in must pass situations, there was no answer for the Cowboys pass rush. DK Metcalf ate Deron Bland's lunch. Uh, Bland did get a pick later in the game though. Yeah. The Cowboys, you know, after weeks of telling us, like I said, that our close wins against good teams were fraudulent and lucky. The Cowboys fans celebrated their narrow win against Seattle uh, like it was a Super Bowl or a playoff victory, despite the fact that they only won because Seattle forgot what a QB sneak was. Um, just disgusting coaching by Seattle in that game. Good job to be in it. They shouldn't have probably you know, had been in the position to win it, but they shouldn't have lost it. All right. I will also just note because – obscure stats are my thing this is only the fifth game in nfl history that did not feature a punt so mm. uh wow no punts in this game a lot of fourth down turnovers no punts that's lower that's a lower number than i would have guessed if you would have said how many games in the nfl history have ended without a punt i would have said like 80 or 90 i'm super, i'm shocked it's only five see that's just bad podcasting that's what i should have said i should have said this game didn't feature a punt mark how many games in NFL <laughs> history do you think have gone without a punt? I would that 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 that's like the opposite. That would have been the opposite of when I asked Shane. Uh, CJ Stroud is the top what quarterback? I, hoping you'd say ten, and you were like, I don't know, three. <laughs> I, I think I said six, but yeah, yeah and you ruined it for me. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I apologize again for you being too low on CJ Stroud. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I was doing. Oh my, God. <laughs> I shouldn't even have brought it up. All right, let's get into the Sunday slate. We're going to start off with a barn burner here as the Los Angeles Chargers traveled to New England oh. and won 6-0. to zero. Phenomenal stuff here. Um, the Chargers' defense sacked the Patriots five times in the second half. Uh, Khalil Mack had his fourth multi-sack game in the last five games, which is kind of a wild stat. Uh, as the Chargers produced, this is an even wilder stat, produced their first shutout of the Brandon Staley era, the defensive mastermind who signed all the players he wanted first shutout in the era. And it came against Bailey Zappi. The Patriots uh, have now lost three straight games while allowing 10 or fewer points, three straight games. Mark, I'll ask you this time. What do you think the record of other NFL teams is this season when allowing 10 or less points? Oh, it's got to be like 70 to 80% win total or win percentage. 50 and 0. No, oh, yeah. NFL teams are 50 and 0 when allowing less than 10 points. The Patriots have lost three in a row while allowing less than 10 points. Uh, on the Chargers side, this is also this is the third game since 2020. Justin Herbert's receivers had six drops in a game. No other active quarterback has more than one of those games in that time. The Chargers rushing attack was atrocious, 29 yards on four carries. These are two teams I could not care less about. Uh, both of them need a new coach next year. Uh, it's time to go ahead and start that process. Uh, 
this isn't the game to be yelling about Brandon Staley is all I'll say. Uh, all it was I'll Bailey say, Zappy, man. I get it, but the defense played well. They're the first team in NFL history, uh, or the, I think the Patriots are the first team in NFL history to be a five-and-a-half-point underdog, uh, hold their team to six points, and fail to cover. So that that's just unbelievable by the uh, by the New England Patriots. But um, I, Justin Herbert, can we talk about Justin Herbert again? Hold I don't on. want to one do more thing before week. you do that. I don't want to hear either. Oh, the Patriots! The Patriots defense has been good. Back to back games under ten points. It was it's Bailey Zappi and Tommy DeVito. Like I, I'm not interested in the Patriots at all. No, I, I agree. I, I agree with you. That's why I, I think Herbert it's it's pathetic that this is a six-point game. I get that there's some drops. He was 22 for 37. He had a five, 5.7 yards per average. The air yards aren't great. He took zero sacks, which you could say, like, good job by Herbert, but it also means he, like, he probably wasn't being harassed, if I had to guess. Um, and, and then – and I watched the game, I, I, like, live. I didn't feel like he was under insane pressure. Um, 49.4 QBR, 75.5 passer rating. Like, I, I just – that's not good enough for what people – tell me Justin Herbert his when um, I get clipped out on radio and I have all the Herbert stands yelling at me. It, I, I get that there's a, a lot of problems with the chargers, but whatever. I, I don't even want to get into it. But the fact that the Patriots had the ball uh, at the end of the game with a chance to go and try to win it. against Justin Herbert. It, it's just good quarterbacks, not good quarterbacks. I shouldn't say that top five quarterbacks. Don't let that happen. In, in my opinion, that's, that's my, I don't want to go too far into the whole Herbert thing. All right. Well, let's keep it rolling then before Mark gets clipped again. Also, Quentin Johnston, I will say this. I'm pretty sure the eight receivers that were drafted after Quentin Johnston have like 200-plus more yards more than him or something. I could be getting that stat wrong. I heard it on a pod. I don't know what it exactly is. I think it's like he has like 200-something yards or 300-something yards, and maybe the eight receivers after him all have 500. It's something along those lines. Yikes. Not great. Yeah. I mean, they could have drafted Zay Flowers. They could have drafted, drafted Marvin Mims. They could have drafted a lot of guys. Yeah. I mean, that was a loaded receiver class. Neither of us loved Quentin Johnston. Could have drafted Jordan Addison. They could have? Or Yeah, Addison, if I re- if I recall correctly, when they were on the clock, only Jackson Smith and Jigba had been drafted. They took <laughs> Johnston. And then Flowers went next to Baltimore and Addison went next to the Vikings. I'd have to take they, a look at my... They went my... one, two, three. So I technically had Johnston ahead of Flowers, 29 versus 31. Uh, but I had but Addison I, higher than both of them. I do remember, though, even though that you said that, I remember at the time of the draft pick and going into the draft, we said that Zay Flowers would have been a perfect fit. Yeah. Um, for, for what they needed um, in that offense. Yeah, so I did even, not like the fit. I, I liked the... I didn't. I didn't love the player. I mean, I had him at twenty nine. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I didn't like the fit at all. Zay Flowers was the guy. I probably had him close to that, but in my opinion, Jordan Addison was the guy. You know how high I was on Addison, mm-hmm. and I think he's been fantastic. Um, if, if this Chargers team had Addison, hope. I mean, you'd you'd like to think that the season would be a lot different right now. But yeah, you know, we that's... we both had. Uh, let's see. I'm looking. It looks like we both had Jordan Addison as our wide receiver too. Yeah. So by yep. the way, Jackson Smith and Jigba, we didn't mention it in Seahawks Cowboys starting to look like the guy that, that we thought he would. 
always he, that's the that's the astronaut meme. He always has been. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But they're starting to use him. Yeah. Okay, to New Orleans, uh, where Detroit jumped out to a 21-0 lead early in this game. Like by the time the Saints ran four offensive plays, they had an interception and a three and out. You're seven minutes into the game, and the Lions are up 7-0, and I switched to another game. And then this turned out to be a close one. Detroit wins 33-28. They punted in four plays or less on four of the next five drives and let the Saints back in it. But Detroit was able to ice the game, running out the final three minutes once New Orleans pulled within five. For the third time this year, Derek Carr exited the game with an injury. And Jameis Winston came in, unable to complete the comeback. Uh, Detroit's defense is still a train wreck, man. I gave the stat last week, 32nd in success rate, 32nd in EPA per play since week seven. They gave up 362 yards to the Saints in this one. Uh, This is a major concern. This is why I don't, right now, I do not take Detroit seriously as a playoff team. Um, Man, I, I, not to just make this a whole draft show, but Christian Gonzalez, man, he was such a good player. Like if they would have taken Christian Gonzalez in the first round, like if they wouldn't have drafted Jack Campbell, who's been bad, just whiffs and not that Jameer Gibbs hasn't been good, but this defense is so bad and they had a chance to really jumpstart that. So, and that's the concern moving forward is the defense is just really bad. Uh, Now one of their offensive draft picks, Sam Laporta, Looking good. Had a career high 140 receiving yards. He's the second tight end to have 140 yards and a touchdown in the same game. So uh, big game for Sam Laporta. The offense looks good. The defense, it's a work in progress. Sam Laporta had nine of their 16 receptions in this game. That is just insane. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of concerns coming out of this game for Detroit, to, to be quite honest. And coming out of every game, we've talked about it every week. And, you know, I bet the Saints plus four and a half in this game. You see the Lions go up 21 nothing. I just I, I turned it off. I, I literally changed one of the screens that we had into a different game. And I had one one screen on red zone that I wasn't really paying attention to. And I see it's 24-14 and the Saints are driving like in the red zone. And I'm like what just happened? Like, and, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago that it was just 21, nothing, but yeah, I mean, the, the lions let them back in the game because their defense can't stop anybody. Uh, and to be honest, like, I know that they put up a bunch of points in this game. To me, it had a lot more to do with just like being efficient in the red zone, which is a good thing. You know, that, that's obviously great, but they made, they made the most of every opportunity they had, but I wasn't watching this game. Like, Oh man, the Saint, the lions are just moving the ball up and down the field. Like, they kept giving like they punted a I wonder how many times they punted in this game but they gave the ball back uh to them quite a bit. Yeah, they had five punts in, in this game. So they they were giving the ball back to New Orleans quite a bit at the end of the game. Um I know that about twice at the end of the game they gave Jameis a chance. Now their defense stepped up on those on those times because they you know they had to give up a touchdown not a field goal. So but uh, you know the Saints and the Lions, this is one of those games you walk out of this game feeling worse about both teams. Yeah. All right, let's roll on to uh, New York, New Jersey, technically. Uh, Atlanta travels to the Jets. Uh, they win this game 13-8. to eight. Mark, I'm going to put you on the clock here. Oh. I'm going to talk about this game. So, oh, my God. The floor is yours, my friend. T-minus one minute. 
This is one of the meaner things Shane's ever done to me on Chalk Talk, making me have to talk about the Atlanta Falcons or the New York Jets, let alone both of them in the same game. Falcons won 13 to 8. Uh, the Jets were up to nothing for the first 25 minutes of this game. Um, that's just, that can't happen in, in 2023. That's unacceptable. I, I'll, I'll step out and say it. Um, Desmond Ritter might've gotten outplayed in this game by Tim Boyle, who is now like getting benched. Desmond Ritter was awful. He was 12 for 27 for 121 yards and a touchdown. However, that sounds, it was worse. It was worse than however it sounds. I know Heineke came in. He wasn't as good. He was good at first and then kind of faltered. You have to put him back in. This Ritter thing can't keep happening. And I say that, I think they've won like three in a row. This Falcons team, we're not going to get rid of them. They're going to win the division. I'm sick of it. I don't want to watch him. I want Arthur Smith fired now, and I liked him before the year. (laughs) And they're winning. It's ridiculous. you got gone full heel turn on Arthur Smith. I'm just sick of it. You have Bijan Robinson, you have Kyle Pitts, you have Drake London. Stop being an idiot. Like we don't there was one part of this game where Cordero Patterson had three straight runs for five yards. What are you doing? Like you you took the eighth pick or the tenth pick, whatever it was, eighth pick. Eighth. Yeah, eighth pick on Bijan Robinson. You Drake London had one catch this in this game. He did have five targets, and that's part of just how terrible Desmond Ritter was. Kyle Pitts was your leading receiver, four catches for 51 yards. Like, break out the champagne when Kyle Pitts gets 50 yards. That, that's how this offense is. I went longer than I even wanted to. Uh, eight targets for Kyle Pitts for four catches. It's just the least efficient passing offense. It's just – it's disgusting. I got to ask you this. This breaks the spirit of the one-minute drill, but this isn't about the game. It's about what happened after. So did you see the reporting from The Athletic about Zach Wilson? Yeah. Oh. So – Robert Sala wants to go back to Zach Wilson as the starter now. And Zach Wilson is quote hesitant to step back in. Like Not he's really, they were really like, Hey, we want you to play again. And he's like, no, I'm good, man. Like I'm out. I'm done with this clown show. And Zach Wilson refuses to play quarterback for you. And then they ask Robert Sala about it at a press conference. He's like, Oh no, no, that's not true. Zach wants to play. And he's like, so is he going to start on Sunday? He's like, well, we're not going to name a starter for Sunday. <laughs> oh man did you see the other thing that came out in new york radio no um i don't know who he is he's some blowhard he's old i'm sure he's like angela cataldi but uh the the new york version on wfan their biggest radio station i guess he's friends with sala um and he went on the radio on monday and said like yeah i was talking to the coach coach sala we were texting back and forth and when Zach Wilson came up, Robert Sala, I said, you got to put Zach back in. And Robert Sala said, are you kidding me, Joe? How Are you kidding? And, and like, they made it a whole big thing being like, Sala hates Zach Wilson. And then today, Sala came out and was like, no, in my text to him, I meant like, uh, you know, you've been killing him all year and now you want me to put him back in? Like, I, I, that's what I meant. Are you kidding? Like. And they like clarify. It's just like, why are you texting this guy? Like Robert Sala? Like you, you, I don't know. It's a mess. The Jets are a mess. Yeah. One of the worst situations in the sport, honestly. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Let's keep going here to Pittsburgh where the Arizona Cardinals, uh, unfortunately for their draft capital, beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 24 to 10. 
Uh, the Cardinals had short fields to work with at times. They had a 21-yard touchdown drive after a fumble, a 33-yard touchdown drive after a face mask on a punt. But they also mustered a 99-yard touchdown drive to take the lead just before halftime. Uh, Trey McBride, second-year tight end, had eight receptions for 89 yards and a touchdown. Nobody else had over 21 receiving yards for this offense. Um, was not a good game for offenses. Kenny Pickett didn't have a good game. He was injured on a red zone scramble, and Mitchell Trubisky had to come into the game. Uh, their first three possessions out at halftime ended with a Trubisky fumble, a missed field goal, and a three and out. Uh, they did score a touchdown after that, but it was too little too late. And now the nation can turn their collective attention to Mitchell Trubisky versus Bailey Zappi on a short week on Thursday night football in a game that we might do a zero minute drill for next week. So you don't know about this, Shane, but so the, the big storyline in sports this week, um, the NBA in season tournament. Are, are you aware of this, Shane? No, you're not aware. I'm not a fan of the idea. They're doing this whole thing to try to make people care about the regular season. They're doing an in-season tournament. I believe the finals, or at least maybe the final four, the two games in the final four of this little in-season rinky-dink tournament out in Las Vegas um, will be on Thursday night. So people are speculating. They think like these really good NBA teams playing in the in-season tournament, this whole idea that the NBA's poured like billion, not billion, I don't know, a lot of money into this in-season tournament. And Steelers Patriots on like a streaming service is going to beat the in-season tournament and ratings. And it's just like you love you should love this more than anyone as like Mr. Other sports don't matter. And football is foot like football's king, because that truly means that the worst possible football that the NFL can offer <laughs> will be like at least like what the NBA is hoping the best potential version of regular season basketball could be like, and I don't think it'll be close. Like I, I think it'll probably blow it out. So that's just like a, a feather in the hat for the, the NFL heads out there. I don't know why that's what I'm talking about about. I mean, that's more interesting than this game. To, yeah. To be knowing quiet. that now I'm going to watch this game just out of spite. Watch the NFL game. Yep. <laughs> just maybe I won't watch it, but I'll have it on my phone. Just like, laying on the bed stand or something to, while I to do take down else. the NBA, take down the NBA death to the NBA. But yeah, this was so clearly a game. The Steelers were going to lose. Like I should have just bet Arizona. I had a big bet on Arizona last week uh, against the Rams and they were so embarrassing, but the Steelers are so historically bad against bad teams. And as big favorites, um, this is the game that they let up in. Uh, it seems like that happens all the time. And this obviously had a little bit of a different slant to it. Pickett gets hurt. They had a ton of center issues. They couldn't snap the ball. I think they had like four fumbles relating to their center, whether it be on like under center or shotgun. Um, Trubisky had one of the least athletic plays you'll ever see trying to like pick up the fumble and getting smoked. Um, and I think it was either recovered or returned for a touchdown by, by Arizona. But yeah, it, this was an ugly game for Pittsburgh. And it's one of those games that it's like, man, can we please see Houston in the wild card and please see like, I don't know. I guess I have to really think about like who's interesting and who's not. If Buffalo can go on a run, like can yeah. we get Buffalo into the playoffs? Can we get Houston into the playoffs? Honestly, I think Indy is like more interesting than Cleveland and Pittsburgh. At least they score points. Like I, I just Cleveland and Pittsburgh, they're both sitting here around the same record in the playoff picture in the AFC North. And it's like, 
I don't want to watch them in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, uh, yeah, it, it, it was a brutal game. Uh, I, last note I have here, James Connor uh, ran for 105 yards and two touchdowns in his first game against his former team in Pittsburgh. So I uh, won't call it a revenge game. I think they parted on amicable terms, but James Connor facing his former team game, I guess we could say. Definitely a revenge game. Absolutely. Fills the qualifications. <laughs> anytime, Pittsburgh too. anytime a team lets you go, it's a revenge game. He's from Pittsburgh. Hometown boy. They didn't pay him. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to the team you mentioned, the Colts, who went to Tennessee and they won in overtime. Time out. One time only thing, Shane. There's okay. nothing more I love than being able to sit back while you run down uh, the box score. Let me just say. This was the game of the year, Shane. This was the best game that was played in the NFL this season. So one time only, I'm going to run us down a little bit uh, on the game. And I should have told you this going in. This is the game of the year, ladies and gentlemen. This is the craziest game of the NFL season. I think it might be crazier than anything college had to offer this year. This was – I don't even know how to describe it without cursing. But the Colts win 31-28 in overtime. And I don't even know how to start covering this game because there's so much craziness. Derrick Henry was eating them alive in the first half. Later on gets hurt. One of the more vicious hits you'll ever see, um, like in terms of clean hits, right up there with how Swift got hit at the end of the Eagles game. Two just brutal, brutal hits, and Henry is now in concussion protocol. But in this game, the Colts had back-to-back punt block on back-to-back punts. They blocked it. That, what, 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 as they'd say around on the, around the NFL, the Colts at multiple points in this game had me screaming at, at the television about their red zone. They kicked from like the, the, I believe the two and the four in this game for field goals with Shane Steichen. Come on, brother. You know, what are you doing? We're, we're kicking from the two yard line. What, what are, we're kicking 22 yard field goals, but ultimately Deandre Hopkins uh, it, you know, he scores a big touchdown that ties it up. The Titans, you're thinking, oh, it's 25, 25, five minutes left. You're already thinking like, oh, if the, is there too much time for the Colts to score and leave time for the tight and the Titans missed the extra point. So now it's tied at 25, 25. And you're like, oh my God, the Titans just had a chance to potentially win the game. They blow it. I actually, by the I way, could, yeah, you know I why they, do something. you know why they missed the extra point? Because, oh yeah, because, yes. You're adding to the layers. You're right. Bad job by me. I said I wanted to take over, and I did a bad job. The punter got hurt on the second punt block because he got smoked after the ball got blo- after the ball got blocked. By the way, special teams coordinator, see ya. You're gone. He got fired on Monday. And another reason here that this game was insane in the third quarter, I blew by it. But on that blocked punt return for a touchdown that the Colts scored to make it 22 to 17. They threw an interception and the Titans returned it for a two point conversion. <laughs> they, a pick two. They had a pick two in this game. And it's then, just... and then they block the next punt and settle for a field goal. So they blocked two punts on back to back possessions and they only netted seven points. Oh, it was the, the, wild. This was an insane game. And then it goes to overtime. The Titans are moving down the field and they get the field goal not the touchdown, and then the Colts go right down the field. Amazing drive by Minshew. 
amazing drive by Steichen. And I'll just say this was the best Minshew game of the year. Minshew was fantastic in this game. I will, he took a couple bad sacks like in, in pretty rough situations in the red zone. But besides that, 26 for 42, 312 yards, seven and a half yards per attempt, um, you know, two touchdowns. Uh, he was he was awesome. Minshew was a top. He was an above average quarterback in this game. And I, I think at this point, the way Minshew's playing, the Colts are now 10 and two to their team total over their scoring points. The defense and special teams are at least making plays, um, which they're making up for it. But also on the other end, the Titans, the Titans played well. They had a chance to win this game, two blocked punts. And, you know, it only netted seven points, but the Titans, you know, not the laughing stock of a last of a last place team that a, a lot of teams are. That this was an incredible game. I don't know if I should feel better about the Colts coming out of it, but you, it just confirms the point that Shane Steichen is at least a great play caller, and Minshew they have a competent quarterback. Michael Pittman, we've been critical of Michael Pittman at times on this show and critical of the Colts receiving core. Michael Pittman had 11 catches for 105 yards and a touchdown in this game. And he's been a top 10 receiver this year, pretty much by any metric you want to slice it. Pittman's been awesome. Um, so that he's kind of been an absolute breakout. One of them were kind of, you know, under the radar breakouts that's happening across the NFL this year. Yeah. That uh, 11 receptions for 105 yards. Uh, that's the first time a Colts receiver has had double digit receptions and triple digit yardage in back-to-back games since when? When do you think Reggie Wayne or Marvin Harrison? It's got to be one of them, right? Marvin Harrison did it in 2002. Okay. So first time in 21 years, a Colts receiver has had back-to-back games with 10 or more receptions and a hundred or more yards. Uh, Aside, you did a good job covering the ridiculousness that was that third quarter. I want to point out one other thing that a lot of people probably didn't notice, but so the Titans threw a touchdown in this game in the second half in the red zone on a fake pick play. So picture two by two set, right? You got two receivers on one side, you run like the slant route to your receiver and you have the inside receiver in the slot. He tries to run that rub run interference right on the corner. So you get that free release. What defenses are doing a lot of times is they will switch responsibilities. Like, the safety on the inside will now take the inside guy and this guy, the outside corner will switch to this route breaking outside. The Titans had a perfect counter punch where the guy like faked this rub route and then broke back inside. And now this cornerback that's way outside of him has to try to defend the slant, easy touchdown, really cool play. What's even cooler is that's the same play. The Colts walked it off in an overtime so yeah. the, I don't know. I don't know if that Colts had that in the playbook or I, I'm sure they did, but I like to imagine Shane Steichen on the sideline being like, Ooh, that's awesome. And just like installing it on the sideline during the game. I thought that was so cool Two division rivals using their play that they got you with like, put this into perspective for Eagles fans. Imagine the Patriots running the Philly special in the second half of the Super Bowl to win the game. Like, that level, like just obviously not what? that level of epicness of a play, but to just... be fair, to be fair, we kind of did. They failed and we ran the that's, play. That's true. That, that is true. But yeah, so I thought that was just such a cool, cool thing that I saw from Steichen there. Uh, and I loved it. So I had to shout that one out. I'm looking it up because I'm curious. The Colts playoff percentage here on New York Times, 65%. Wow. I, I, I'm really hoping that I think the best possible scenario for the watchability of the playoffs 
if if you could possibly avoid Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Denver, and you could get Houston, Indy, and Buffalo in there as your wild cards and have those three teams face off um, with, you know, whatever three of Jacksonville, Kansas City, Miami, and Baltimore don't get the bye, that is, that's the makings for an incredible AFC playoffs because the, I think, I truly think the Texans can compete with anybody. CJ Stroud's that good. He can change the calculus of a game to the point where he can just ball out and, you know, sorry, you played, you played a top five quarterback. And I think that the Bills, we know what, you know, we know the argument for the Bills. If the Bills go on a run here to make the playoffs, that will kind of confirm the nerds that think they're still a top five team despite being six and six. You look at a lot of DVOA and metrics, they're still up there among the class of the NFL. Them going on a run would confirm that. And the Colts, I don't care what happens. The Colts are going to play wacky games. They're going to play crazy games. It's what they do. Steichen's play calling keeps them in games. They don't really get blown out at all. Every game they play is close. So even if they play one of those teams, I have no doubts that they'll hang with it. Um, so those three teams, that's what I'm hoping for um, in the AFC wild card. All right. Well, let's keep three going. AFC South, my bad. Three AFC South teams, by the way, is what I'm yeah, hoping for. How that's crazy. crazy. That's crazy. And one of them with a backup quarterback. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's keep rolling here and let's talk about one of those teams that's in contention for the one seed in the AFC. Uh, They won in dominant fashion on Sunday. It's the Miami Dolphins beating the Washington Commanders 45 to 15. Uh, The Dolphins needed someone to step up in the absence of Jalen Phillips, who tore his Achilles on Black Friday. Uh, Andrew Van Ginkle stepped into the gap. He had a pick six as the Dolphins jumped out to a 17-0 lead in the first quarter. He also had a team-high six pressures on only 23 pass-rushing snaps. So he played really well. Hopefully he can sustain that play for the Dolphins. Um, On the offensive side of the ball, they've struggled with turnovers the last couple weeks, but they broke that trend against uh, Washington playing a clean game. Tua hit Tyreek Hill on a 78-yard touchdown on their third play of the game. Tyreek ended with 157 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Devon A-Chain returned from injury. He had 105 yards from scrimmage and two touchdowns. Uh, One notable thing is Taron Armstead was injured in the game and he's been banged up throughout this season, but it didn't seem to be too serious. Uh, So hopefully he'll be back out there next week. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that that you can note here is that for the first time since October 8th uh, against the Giants, they had Devon A-Chain and Devon A-Chain in this game. He didn't light it up from an efficiency standpoint in the way that he had earlier on in the season. Did have 17 carries, though, for 73 yards, 4.3 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, three catches for 30 yards as well. And I said when he when when we were kind of concerned about the Dolphins, I was like, maybe they that kind of electric weapon that they had in a fan that was such, you know, so such a surprise early on in the season. Maybe that is so huge, the explosiveness of this offense and being able to kind of pick your poison um, when it comes to how many fast dudes you have on the field and. After so you you look at when that happened, that happened when the Dolphins played the Giants. They were able to keep the train on the track the next week after that against the Panthers. Like that, obviously the Panthers aren't good. But then the Dolphins had a four-week stretch. They lost to the Eagles 31-17. They really put up 10 offensive points in that game. I think they had a defensive touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So 10 offensive points in that game. The next week, they beat the Patriots 31-17, and that 31 was a late garbage-time touchdown to go up two touchdowns. That was like a weirdly kind of – they were up by seven for a lot of that game uh, against the Patriots. 
The week after, they lose 21-14 to the Chiefs after being down three touchdowns early. The week after that, they beat the Raiders 20-13. to In a similar game to the Patriots, they were kind of up like a touchdown the whole game, and it was a sleepy game. They didn't put them away. And after that stretch, we talked on here, and I was like, I'm even a little bit more concerned about Tua than I think most people are. Like, he's got all these sacks and or all these fumbles and interceptions combined and um, all these things that I think that they were worthy to be concerned about. They couldn't put teams away like they were earlier in the year against some of the bad teams, and they weren't competing with the good teams. The last two weeks, obviously, you can play who's on your schedule. The Dolphins can't, you know, they can't decide to play a, a good team uh, all of a sudden and take and change that criticism of them the last two weeks 34 13 against the jets they dominated that game looked great on offense never let them back in it and dolphins commanders this week one by 30 tyreek hill looked like an mvp um in it Tua looked like the Tua that we know he didn't get off script so we didn't have to see him get uncomfortable um the defense looked dominant um in, in for much of this game it looked like the sam Howell you mostly get when he doesn't play the eagles um but yeah the the dolphins I haven't changed my mind on a team more often than I have about the Dolphins. Uh, I just keep going back and forth on whether or not to take them um, seriously as a real contender. At the moment, I am. Um, with some of the cracks we're seeing with Kansas City, some of the cracks we saw with Jacksonville um, last night defensively, um, you know, Baltimore, I'm not as 100% sold on as I think Shane is, and I think a lot of people are with Baltimore. Um, so, yeah, it, it's going to – I think Miami's back in the mix for me as a legitimate contender. I, I don't know where you're at with Miami. Um, I I think Miami is a team I would not want to face in the playoffs. I have a hard time seeing them winning three straight playoff games, though. Like, it, it, I go back to the finesse thing versus the power thing, and I think eventually that they're another of those teams that you just get a little sand in the gears and it can tend to go off the rails. And I think there'll be teams that can do that to them. So I wouldn't want to face them. Uh, I, they would make me sweat in the postseason, and I, they could certainly do it, but I, I would not have them as my pick coming out of the AFC. I'll tell you this, it, them getting a one seed and you, you know, you think about it and you say like, Oh, Miami doesn't have this like incredible home field, but them getting a one seed, what that would do is it would avoid them having to go to cold Baltimore. It would avoid them having to go to cold Kansas City. It would avoid them having to go to Jacksonville. Not that that's you know cold or anything, but Jacksonville's probably a little bit less scary than the other two. Wor I mean, but worst case scenario for them is an AFC title game in Baltimore in the snow or Kansas City. Or Kansas either, City. either way, I mean, we saw they didn't look good against Kansas City for most of that game in Germany. Um, let alone in Kansas City in the snow. I mean, that's that's a cold place as well. So, yeah, I, I mean, they Miami maybe more than Kansas City, maybe more than Baltimore, maybe more than Jacksonville. They might be the team in the NFL that needs home field advantage more than any other team in the NFL, and that's Detroit. you wouldn't think. But they don't have a realistic path. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I almost it's almost I just don't even consider them. Like I, I'm thinking of the four AFC teams: Philly and San Fran. Yeah. Yeah, you could. Argue I, agree, I agree. I agree with you on that. And I think it's out of reach for Detroit, but they desperately need home field as well. So they can stay in a dome and not get Jared Goff out in the cold. Yeah. And like even Dallas, like you throw Dallas in this, like Dallas has beaten us in Philly before. Like yeah. I, I wouldn't even Dallas played San Fran close last year. Like I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think it's Miami, Miami, their Super Bowl or 
I, I should say their chance at making or winning the Super Bowl drastically changes the most by getting home field is what I should say. That's the smart way of saying that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's keep going. Let's go to the Houston Texans who outlasted the Denver Broncos 22 to 17. Will Anderson had two sacks and eight pressures. He also tipped a pass that was intercepted by Derek Stingley that led to a touchdown. Derek Stingley also had another pick in the game. Uh, so two interceptions for Stingley. Jimmy Ward had a game ceiling interception in the red zone. Uh, CJ Stroud and Nico Collins hooked up eight times for 173 yards in this game. Uh, unfortunately, Tank Dell was lost for the season with a fractured fibula in this one. So that does hurt for the offense. But CJ Stroud is making it work. Uh, he threw for 274 yards in this game. He now has 1,740 yards in his last five games, which is the most by a rookie in a five-game span in NFL history. So, wow. uh, CJ Stroud, man. He's a top what quarterback? Yeah, six. Yeah, he's probably <laughs> top six still. I'd have to really sit down and think about it. The so for the Texans offensively here, they could not run the ball at all. They they just had nothing going on the running game. And then outside of Nico Collins, the rest of the team had 101 receiving yards. Um, and no one had more than three catches. Only one player had more than one catch outside of Nico Collins. That's going to be a problem going forward uh, without Tank Dell. I'll just say that. I will just, I, I will say Dalton Schultz uh, missed this game. So uh, presumably he will be back going forward. That'll be big for them. Um, but if a team's going against Houston, zero in on Nico Collins, maybe even double Nico Collins, it might start to be a struggle with where Stroud goes with the ball. Um, so that is my one concern. Um, people are hoping Noah Brown, Robert Woods could step up there. So John Mechie, maybe even. So someone's going to have to step up for for Houston there because they don't have much of a running game. Um, their O-line isn't the best in in the league. It was re- it really was C.J. Stroud just slinging it to Tank Dell and, and uh, obviously Nico Collins. They're going to need someone to step into that Tank Dell role. On the other end of things, Russell Wilson was terrible in this game. This was last year, Russ. Like, this was the epitome of 2022. Russell Wilson. So um, can't have that obviously uh, in, in, you know, they were winning because he was not making mistakes really. And you look at the turnover luck that Denver had, it wasn't sustainable. Um, This was pretty obvious that this was coming. It's actually impressive that it was this close of a game um, with how badly Russ played. Uh, But I'll ask you a question here about Stingley because he was bad last year um, Stingley. And then now this year, I've heard a lot of good things. And then in this game, that interception he made was the interception of the year. I thought it was definitely the most impressive interception I've seen anyone make. Um, just incredible ball skills. And that, you know, goes back to what we always said about Stingley. Um, coming from that freshman season he had that was historic um, at LSU. I I don't know if you know his PFF grades or how, like, how elite has he been? Has he been a leader? Has he just been good and had these splash plays? Um, I, I guess I don't know if you're prepared with that info, but. How good has Stingley been? I think it's definitely been better. I mean, you look at, you look at like last year, he was obviously the scheme was doing him no favors. He's a man cover corner and he was playing in Lovey Smith's Tampa two scheme. I didn't think that was using it to the best of his ability. If you look at PFF, uh, he had a 49.9 coverage grade last season. It's a 79.7 coverage grade this season. So it's a pretty big leap. Um, Now, 
he's missed a lot of games still. I mean, remember he got injured in week two and didn't play again until week 10. So he's only played six games this year, uh, 358 snaps. Uh, and again, I don't love PFF charting for stuff like this, but PFF mm-hmm. says uh, that he has been targeted 21 times this season. He's allowed 12 receptions for 243 yards, two touchdowns, four interceptions, two pass breakups, and he's been charged with one penalty. So again, I don't love their coverage stats stuff, but that's what PFF would say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think he's been a he's been a markedly better player in a better scheme this year. Yeah, I I totally totally agree with that. Um, I I just feel like when I watch them, he jumps off the screen, and when I watch them, Jalen Petrie jumps off the screen. Um, when I watch them, Will Anderson jumps off the screen, and that's just the Texans, man. They they really really have the making um, to go out and spend some money this off season and compete for a Super Bowl next season. Um, yeah. That's that's truly how I feel. Um, and the biggest concern for them, honestly, is keeping Bobby Slowick. Like if you're the, if you're like a Texans, you know, uh, if you're in the Texans organization, you almost should just pay Bobby Slowick a head coach salary next year um, and tell him like, hey, let's wait a year. Like we'll build your, your resume, wait for the right job, stick around. Um, because what he's doing with CJ Stroud is, is incredible and it would be a sin for kind of a lack of continuity there. Stroud might be good enough that it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've talked about that too much on the show, so I'll move on. <laughs> All right, let's go to Tampa Bay uh, where the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Timeout. Yes. We're throwing the challenge flag. <laughs> One minute thought, warning, Panthers bucks. I thought that might be coming on this game. I already had it queued up. <laughs> so, okay, I'll hit the play button here and then I'll resume. T minus one minute. Okay, Tampa Bay wins this game 21 to 18. The takeaway from this game is Mike Evans has done it again. He had 162 yards on seven catches, including a 75 yard touchdown on the first play after the Panthers took a lead in the third quarter. He has eclipsed 1,000 yards for the 10th straight season. That's right. He has never in his career failed to have 1,000 yards. He's done that with playing. He's done that while playing with the following quarterbacks Josh McCallan, Mike Glennon, Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jameis Winston again, Tom Brady, and now 12 games of Baker Mayfield. T-minus Mike Evans, can, you can set your watch to him. He is the most consistent player, maybe in the NFL. Uh, also, bad game management by the Panthers. Uh, third and one, Eight, they called a pass play. Seven, Fourth and one, six, they threw an interception five, five, while they had four, a running back that had 104 three, yards two, rushing on the day. One, so probably bad game zero. management there by the Panthers. Antoine Winfield is my only takeaway from this game. He's awesome. He, he's been incredible. I'm pretty sure he's like the highest graded safety in the NFL this year. Um, he, he's been awesome. Yeah, I've, I've been a big Antoine Winfield guy for a couple of years. Love that guy. Okay, let's keep it rolling here. Last game on the Sunday afternoon slate. Uh, this was the other option for the, your flag. It's Cleveland at the Rams. The Rams. Thought, win. It was between those two. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, Cleveland win or Cleveland loses thirty six to nineteen. The Browns have a historically good defense. The Rams lit them up. Now, granted, Denzel Ward was out. Miles Garrett was playing through a shoulder injury, but McVay and Stafford teamed up to dominate the game. Uh, the Rams have now won three straight and they are at six and six. They're in the thick of the NFC playoff race and they've got a good trio of weapons in Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams. Uh, 
In this game, Nakua generated the second most rushing yards over expectation of his career at plus 44, and he racked up another 100-yard game as he broke 1,000 yards on the season. So the Rams, they could make a push into the playoffs here. I'm officially saying that I was wrong about the Rams, and, and but I think I was wrong in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. Look how good this Rams rookie class has been. Like They have like two or three starters who have been really good from their O-line who are just out of nowhere from either a rookie or like a second-year player who didn't play last year. Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua are just next level, next level finds by this organization. Obviously, Kyron Williams from last year. Puka was a rookie this year. Um, both of them found on day three. Um, th- these picks that the Rams have made with a lack of resources and a lack of picks, it's incredible. When, when I mean, obviously, we knew what McVay was. We knew what Stafford was if he was healthy. We knew what Aaron Donald was if he was healthy. They went out. They found it. They patched together a good offensive line. They found a legitimate, like, I, I shudder to say this, but, like, Kyron Williams is playing, like, a top five to seven running back in the sport in, in the way that he's running, blocking, and receiving. He's one of the more full-time, full-complement running backs. He had 21 carries in this game. They're only They only had one other running back carry. Um, uh, they did not have another running back who got a target in this game. He is their running game. He is, like, a huge part of their offense out of nowhere for, for Kyron Williams. And he missed like half the season. They looked bad when he was out. I think he's just a massive, massive part of their success. And he went to Notre Dame. Um, and Puka I, I will never get over the fact that I was so high on him. We both were. And I talked myself out of it because of athleticism concerns. He's someone to kind of think about going forward. When we evaluate some of these running backs that we, you do kind of have to evaluate the tape over the athletic, you know, you know the RAS. And obviously, but, you you know, I guess the flip side to that coin is Devon Achan. Like, look at him. Like, relative athletic scores. He was incredible. Like, uh, that was the reason to go ahead and take him. Uh, well, the thing that scared awesome. me with this, I thought he didn't look explosive on tape. The thing that really scared me off is when he didn't run at the combine. Because then I was like, okay, he's trying to hide something. Yeah, I think he was hurt. I really just think he was hurt and and ran or he, I don't know. It's the the Kyron Williams thing was crazy. Uh, that that's a real shame, but it worked out perfect. He landed in the exact spot um, for the the exact team that'll use him, and they'll use him for two more years, and then he'll get thrown in the trash. Sadly, but that is the <laughs> the life cycle of a running back. I am going to enjoy the two, three, four year stretch of one of my, actually not even like one of my like literally my favorite offensive player who's ever played at Notre Dame in my life um, is Kyron Williams. He was an absolute joy to watch at Notre Dame um, right up there with, you know, Jeff Samarja back in the day. If you remember him, anyone out there, he became a Cubs pitcher for a very long time, um, but he was a stud receiver at Notre Dame. Kyron Williams was, I mean, he's transformed this Rams offense. And so is Puka. I don't want to downplay the Puka Nakua thing. Puka Nakua. I've, I struggled to like fully buy in on Puka early on in the year, even though he's been killing it for me in multiple fantasy leagues. Um, I, I struggled to buy in because I thought it might just be a system thing. He's for real. He, he is just an absolute stud. And now they have two absolute studs at receiver, an absolute stud at running back, a solid player in Tyler Higby, a good O-line, and a healthy Matt Stafford. That offense is, with Sean McVay at the helm is, is going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. They'll probably make the playoffs. I don't, I don't know. Who knows? All right, let's get into Sunday night football uh, where the Kansas City Chiefs traveled to Green Bay 
and they got beat. Mark Jordan Love outduels Patrick Mahomes, and Jordan Love played awesome in this game. Uh, he opened with back-to-back 75-yard touchdown drives. Love went 10 of 11 for 109 yards and two touchdowns. On his fourth drive, which was in the second half, by the way, uh, the Chiefs were only down two. He went five of five for 66 yards and led another touchdown drive. Uh, the Chiefs' offense put up a field goal on their first two drives, but they took seven and eight minutes respectively. They didn't have their third possession till after halftime. That is wild in today's NFL. Ultimately, they scored two touchdowns and two field goals on their first four drives. Like, that's a good day in the office, but they went 0 for 3 on their final three drives and they lost the game 27 to 19. Uh, this is Jordan Love's fourth game this season with three or more touchdowns and no interceptions, tying him with Brock Purdy for the most such games. Uh, he is the fifth quarterback in the Super Bowl era to have four of those games in his first 13 starts. Uh, I have two main takeaways. One is that Jordan Love cost himself a lot of money signing that one-year deal for next year. Uh, Number two, and I don't like talking about this, but man, NFL officiating is atrocious. Mm -hmm. It's just atrocious. The last drive of this game, it, it cannot happen. It just can't. There's an unnecessary roughness call for a linebacker hitting Patrick Mahomes when he was still in bounds. Both of his feet still in bounds. And like Mahomes does this against the Eagles. He runs to the sideline and he tiptoes up the sideline until somebody gets there. Like it's genius. Yeah. And credit to him. You're playing within the game. It's the Kenny Pickett fake slide thing from Pitt a couple years ago. Like it is within the rules, but he will run right up the sideline until you get there and then step out of bounds. If you don't hit him, he's not going out of bounds. If you do hit him, you get flagged for hitting a guy while he's in bounds. Mm-hmm. That cannot happen. Both of his feet were in bounds, and you flag it for unnecessary roughness. And it wasn't just the Packers getting screwed. Yeah. there No defensive pass interference on that Mar- Marquez Valdez-Scantling play. Clear and obvious pass interference. They, they stopped the clock on an MVS catch when he was not moving forward. And by rule, you have to be moving forward when you go out of bounds to stop the clock. He's getting pushed backwards out of bounds and the official stopped the clock and the Hail Mary. I mean, they're not going to call PI on a Hail Mary. And I don't necessarily hate that because I don't want to be given 50 yards of a penalty on a time expiring play and put it at the one. Uh, But that one aside, like brutally officiated officiating has been brutal. This like this feels like replacement error refs thing to me. Like it's been awful all season. Uh, I hate talking about it. I just want to watch the games and let the players decide it. And we didn't talk about it even on Thursday night, but the Thursday night game was atrociously officiated. There was like almost 300 yards of penalties in that game, 219 penalties for 259 yards. Like officiating is out of control. Yeah, it's terrible. And you covered it greatly there. And I've kind of complained about officiating for a long time here. So I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time on it. And you covered the Jordan Love stuff. Great. I don't want to spend too much time on that. Everyone's going to talk Jordan Love. What I want to talk about is Matt LaFleur. Um, We said all offseason that this was, you know, put up or shut up year for Matt LaFleur, kind of a prove it year for Matt LaFleur. I'm sure he was, I'm sure his butt was a little hot. I'm sure he was on the hot seat just a little bit, at least um, coming off a bad year with Rodgers. And, you know, he 
was part of the the crew that wanted love in there, I'm sure. So I, I think that we were pretty critical of him at points of this year when they were losing some close games. Jordan Love wasn't looking um, very good at, at times this year. But what he's been able to do these last three weeks um, in getting this offense to look the way they do without Aaron Jones for a lot of this time, um, and Christian Watson missed, missed some of this game after really playing incredibly. Christian Watson has broken out as of late, um, but missed this game. I'm pretty sure Luke Musgrave um, is missing time, didn't play in this game. They're, they're missing two guys on their offensive line. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that there's a guy on their defensive line that they're missing as well. They're missing a lot of guys, and they're still making this happen. Uh, Green Bay, I, I could not be more impressed by the coaching job Matt LaFleur has done over the last you know month or so. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to our final game. Uh, it is Monday Night Football, another game that went into overtime last night. The Cincinnati Bengals beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-31 in overtime. Cincinnati backup quarterback Jake Browning went 32 for 37 for 354 yards and a touchdown. He completed passes to eight different players. In his second game as a starter, he threw for more yards than Joe Burrow did in any game this season. Seven of seven on attempts over 10 air yards for 170 yards and a touchdown. That's the most completions without an incompletion on 10-plus air yard throws in a game over the last two seasons. He was the 10th player in the Super Bowl era to throw for 350-plus yards with a completion percentage over 85% in the last two seasons. Uh, Mark, I have a very not serious question to ask you, and that's this. Is Joe Burrow a system quarterback? Got to ask the questions, you know, <laughs> LSU, yeah, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. Then he, he has Jamar in the pros, T Higgins. Uh, you know, we've talked at length for a long time on this show about how great and incredible the coach Zach Taylor is. Uh, obviously, we've always given him his flowers. We've never criticized him. We've never said he's a system coach or anything like that. I mean, clearly it was always Burrow. We we were we were always right. It was Burrow, the system quarterback, and Zach Taylor was he's just the the genius wizard of Oz pulling all the strings. Yeah. So if you're a Bengals fan <laughs> listening to this podcast, you can find Mark on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. Now, obviously, nah, yeah, all very tongue in cheek. Uh, Joe Burrow is incredible. The game's better without him, but very impressive performance by Browning. And a good performance by Zach Taylor, a coach that I have given a lot of flack to over the yeah. last couple of years. Uh, I thought it was a well-schemed up game for them. Now, it may say more about the state of the Jaguars' defense <laughs> than anything else, which is a concern. Uh, and, and disaster did strike for the Jags in this game, aside from losing the game. I mean, this should have been an easy win as they stayed in contention for the one seed. Not only did they lose, uh, but they lost Trevor Lawrence to an ankle injury. Uh, as of recording, there's uh, he's supposed to have an MRI today, but nothing has oh, come out that high I'm high ankle sprain. High okay. ankle sprain. Doug said, okay. you know, they're gonna they're progressing this week. It looks like he'll probably play this week, if I had to guess. Good. Okay, so high ankle sprain. Honestly, he shouldn't just get to the playoffs at this point. The one seed is dead. Just get him healthy for the playoffs and, and you'll be fine. It might not be dead. It might. The, the AFC is crazy, right? I mean, yeah. the Dolphins are there at nine and three, but the Dolphins have a couple of really tough games. I think Buffalo, Dallas, maybe another one that I'm forgetting. Baltimore, you mentioned they have three losses, but they play San Fran. I'm pretty sure they play other teams from their division. Not that 
Cincy, Pittsburgh, or Cleveland are world beaters, but they're tough teams. Um, and, and then you have Kansas City with Jacksonville, who also has four losses. So Let, they're, they're like it's crazy. The Jags are eight and four. Okay, the Texans and Colts are a game behind them at seven and five. Only one of those three teams has a healthy starting quarterback right now. You got yeah. the Steelers and Browns are both at seven and five with backup quarterbacks. The Bengals and Bills are at six and six. Mark Bengals play- are a backup. Yeah. If the playoffs started today, the starting quarterbacks in the AFC would be Tua, Lamar, Mahomes, all good. C.J. Beathard, Mitchell Trubisky, Joe Flacco, and Gardner Minshew, while C.J. Stroud and Josh Allen missed the playoffs. So uh, not to make this a college football show, but maybe the NFL should go to the best teams (laughs) instead of the most deserving teams, and let's fix this. What I, I guess this is as good of a time as any. What are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on the playoff on Florida State getting getting left out at 13 and 0? Yeah, I guess as we transition to final thoughts here. Um I hate it. Um I love it. I'm glad that the I'm glad the NFL didn't remove the Eagles from the playoffs when their MVP it. candidate Carson Wentz tore his ACL a few years ago. Um I I think Gene. you have you have to play the games for a reason and is the ACC weak? Yes. Did Florida State go f- schedule LSU and beat them and out of conference? Yes. Like they did what they did what they're supposed to do. They scheduled a real out of conference team. They ran the table. They won their conference championship. They're undefeated, and you put two one loss teams in ahead of them, and that sucks. Like that absolutely sucks. Um, I think every Florida state fan, every Florida state player mm-hmm. has every right in the world to be pissed. Now agreed there would Florida state have probably lost by 20 to Michigan in the first round of the playoffs. Yes, but probably, and we are not going to know for sure. And that's what sucks. This is why it needs to be expanded and they're expanding 100%. it. If there was ever a year to just like, emergency we're expanding to six teams for the playoff like i'm sure you can't do that but man if you could have done that give the two undefeated teams a bye have all the have well i guess there's three undefeated teams but give washington and michigan a bye have these other four teams because georgia i mean it sucks for georgia too. have those 14 like one of those six teams is the best team and, and two of them and don't get a shot and, and i hate I, that but no, I, you're right. In all fairness, it's not fair. No, but someone was going to be unfairly screwed. Like, And I know people want that to be Alabama. It seems like people just wanted – that's what people want. But they beat Georgia. Like, They beat the number one team that was the presumptive title favorites for the entire season, the, the back-to-back national champs. And um, I just think I, if a team is going to get left out, it should be a team that lost a game. It's just the problem is – Georgia or Florida state's best win was Bama's fourth. Yeah. So when you have wins against Georgia and Ole Miss and LSU and you know, you like, it's almost, yeah. Should Florida state be penalized for going out and playing LSU? No, but should Bama be penalized for adding Texas to a gauntlet of an sec schedule? It's like, I, and honestly, the only reason Florida state got left out is because this nightmare scenario where they couldn't screw Texas because Texas beat Bama. That's really what happened. Texas probably should have been the team that got screwed, but that is the real 
the games have to matter at that point. Like yeah. Texas beat Bama in Tuscaloosa with their quarterback. Like Texas, Texas had to get in. If Georgia beats Bama, Florida State probably gets in over Texas. Like that's probably how they would have played it out. Yeah. Um, that's not fair. But the problem above everything, honestly, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe Texas would have gotten in over Florida State, but the problem above everything is we've just had too many uncompetitive first-round playoff games in mm-hmm. college football. It's really done irreparable harm to the sport. Um, seeing, and then last year was the national championship. I mean, sixty-three to seven. That's <laughs> da- in my opinion, that was more damaging to the sport of college football last year. That national championship than anything that's happened in the last two decades. Um, you want to argue NIL, playoff changes, system changes, scandals. Um, the most damaging thing that's happened to college football in the last 20 years is the national championship being decided by 56 points. Boy, and the team that was 56 point by the best team in the college football by 56 points last year is on the outside looking in with one loss this year. That's why I'm honestly willing to hear the Georgia upset, like the cries from Georgia more than Florida state. But like you said, if you're a Florida state fan, if you're a player on that team, if you're in the organization, you go to that school. Like, I would be, I I would be absurdly upset. Like, I I, I would be storming the NCAA capital. I mean, like this I, this is like I forget what year it was. Oh three. I mean, this is like oh three BCS, OU USC, Auburn all undefeated, and Auburn gets left out. Like, you went to a playoff to avoid situations like this. The solution's coming next year. You're expanding yep. the playoffs. It's just a year too late. It's a year too late. By the way, another facet of this interesting kind of thing, the Big 12, uh, or if you look at all four teams, the conferences that they'll be in next year, it's the SEC and the Big 10. Texas will be in the SEC, um, and Washington will be in the Big 10. Pac-12, SEA, ACC, you got left out. Uh, Have fun in the future going against the two mega conferences. And the Big 12, Sorry, your your breadwinners just left uh, Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, sorry, you're now irrelevant. Like that. That's re- you enjoy basketball. It's yeah. kind of instead of you're not a basketball guy, but on NBA Twitter, there's a meme that goes around anytime a player does something bad or um, if a player's washed up. Where it's Adam Silver, the commissioner, saying, "Learn Chinese, buddy." Um, the, <laughs> my my meme to the Big Twelve is enjoy basketball, buddy. <laughs> like, yeah. That's really what it is now that Texas and Oklahoma are gone. And by the way, this should be the impetus more than anything for Florida State and Miami and Clemson to be like, sorry, ACC. Like we went 13 and 0 and we got screwed. We've got to go to the SEC. That that's that's what it is. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week's episode of the BGN draft show. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Wrong show there. <laughs> Let me try that again. Sheesh. It's totally intentional, by the way, but uh, <laughs> okay, okay. I just ended with that because we don't often make our closing thoughts about college, but it, it was oh, extremely, okay. extremely yeah. relevant this week. So yeah, uh, I'll take us out of here with the right outro this time. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us for episode number 133 of Chalk Talk. If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, be sure you smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you stream your podcast. Like it on Twitter, thumbs up on YouTube, the whole nine yards. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow Mark at on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. And we will catch you guys next time.